from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. and welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your review of everything important on planet Earth. I am Eric S. Piotrowski, a writer and educator in Wisconsin, USA. I am known as Duke Scath in the world of video games and Twitter, aka Scartol in the world of Wikipedia and Reddit. Today is Thursday, the 28th of May, 2020. On this show, I bring you a range of news stories, historical and literary perspectives, and my opinions on topics like current events, war, human rights, economics, education, hip-hop music, and killer robots. So buckle up and let's get started. A little bit better than dope is, a brand new kid to show biz. With knowledge, I persevere, but find out, do me a favor. favor. Let me in here, and we can find a rhyme to fill in space and drop the so I'm actually keeping a decent schedule with these, as it turns out. But today I got something special for you. I'm bringing you an interview with my very good friend, Garrett Crowell. Uh, he is the husband of Shay Crowell, who I interviewed a couple years ago about education and lots of other stuff. And I've been wanting to talk to him for a while uh, on the show because he's a really smart guy and uh, I didn't really give him a proper introduction. So I'll do that now. Garrett Crowell is an educator, a librarian, a comic book guru, and a creative person and a cantankerous malcontent. And that's one of the reasons he and I have always gotten along so well. And he's just a really interesting person. And I, I have a lot of respect for his perspectives on things, even though we don't always agree on stuff. And as we'll talk about in the show, we once got in a screaming argument in a parking garage about a movie. So Anyway, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. I, I wanted specifically to focus on four pieces of popular culture, uh, Watchmen, Fever Vendetta, Transmetropolitan, and then the movie Bob Roberts. And so we get into all that stuff, but we talk about a lot of other things along the way. And if you're interested in popular culture and especially comic books, this is going to be right up your alley. But if you're not interested in those things, that's okay too. Uh, we cover a lot of stuff that everybody uh, can probably find something in that they're interested in. And if you're interested in politics, especially uh, we're going to cover a lot of stuff about those pieces of media in the age of trump because it feels like they have some of them have a particular resonance and some of them feel quaint and even obsolete now so we'll get into all that stuff in the discussion also there's a few bad words in the conversation coming up so if you have sensitive ears be careful normally i would go through and edit those out but with the end of the school year and everything going on you know what F that shit the other thing I wanted to say before I start playing the interview is that at the end of each interview, as you know, I usually ask the person I'm interviewing what song we should end with. And I forgot to do that during the interview this time, but then I asked him about it online and Garrett said he wanted me to use one of the songs from Bob Roberts. And I really like the song they play at the end of Bob Roberts, so I'm going to use that. And it's really fitting given a lot of the stuff that we talked about. So enjoy the interview, people. Uh, as always, please get in touch with me. I am at Duke Scath on Twitter. That's the easiest way to get in touch with me. But you can also email me, esp at fbesp.org. And here comes the interview with Garrett. Enjoy. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Stop repenting because the end of this near. But don't panic. You can't function if you live in a fear. Pay attention. You got to listen to hear. Wait out for me. All right, so I am here with Garrett Crowell, who is a person I have known for nigh on, uh, it's more than 20 years now. 
Yes. 25, like something like 25 that. 25 or 26 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a minute. And uh, we met, unfortunately, through the passing of a mutual friend. And uh, he's the husband of Shay Crowell, who you heard in a previous interview, listeners. And I wanted to bring him on to talk about four particularly awesome pieces of popular culture. And we're going to probably bring in a whole lot of others because uh, we have a lot of mutually shared interests. So, um, yeah. Garrett, yeah. welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. It's good to be here. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time here. Hey, listen, I don't have time to play with the phone here. I got a lot of stuff I got to get done. <laughs> I got some sound clips ready to go when we need them. Oh, my God. What's happening over oh, there? Oh, my word. Yes. Hello. Uh, one thing we both love is the Jerky Boys. So if anybody out there knows the Jerky Boys, you'll be hearing a little bit of that. I don't know about love. That sounds like some seriously <laughs> fruity shit to me right there. Yeah. It doesn't say love is. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's I've been thinking a lot recently about four pieces of popular culture that have been real important to me. And I I think I learned about all of them from you. Oh, yeah, I think so. I know that I, I, I know that I didn't know about Watchmen before I met you. I know you introduced me to Transmetropolitan. I'm pretty sure you're the first person who ever showed me Bob Roberts. And what was the other one? Oh, yeah. V for Vendetta. V I'm pretty Vendetta. sure you, you put that in my hands for the first time as well. Yeah, because usually that one grows backward out of Watchmen. People discover Watchmen, and then they need to go back and do, you know, early Alan Moore. So I can't remember which sense. I read first, but I want to say it was V. I know that I remember seeing the cover for V for Vendetta in the science fiction book club catalog at Once Upon a Time. And yeah. I thought, hey, why is this in the science fiction book club? It's some dude in a vaudeville theater. You know, it was just a mirror with the right. little styrofoam head and the wig. And obviously, spoiler alert for all four of these stories, we're going to get way into the things going on in them. And basically, you know, in the age of Trump, it kind of feels like these stories have an extra urgency. So, Garrett, do you have a preference of where we start? Is there one that you remember finding first? Do you want to go chronologically or, or what? Um, I guess for me, it would nest. I discovered Watchmen first. So I guess we can talk about that one first. Yeah. Um, because for me, Watchmen was something that. I bought as individual issues at flea markets when I was like 10 or 11, wow. I guess, and put it all together and read it when I was way too young to have read it. So I didn't <laughs> even understand that it was deconstructionist superhero story, which right. is what it is. Yeah. Um, and, and I so, should, sorry, I should say for the record that Garrett works in the library uh, in Tennessee. I don't know how specific you want to get with your home, but um, you're a librarian. You are the most the person I know. Nobody I know knows more than about comic books than Garrett. Oh, he, God, that'll bring people out of the woodwork. There's going to be people who are like, I know more about comics than this guy. What the oh, hell? Who cares? I don't know anybody who knows any more about comics than Garrett. So whenever something about comics comes up, I immediately go to Garrett just for so people know. That's why I brought him on. Go ahead. Thank you. I feel like I should do like a, a, the, the Jeff Albertson now, you know. This will be the worst episode ever. Yes. Um, See, I right. forgot that that was his name. I know him as comic what? book guy. Dude, respect. Wow. Um, all right. So. I just, yeah, I discovered Watchmen first when I was definitely too young to have really read it. And, you know, so, of course, I had to hide all the sex and violence parts from uh, parents and teachers and whatnot. But it's kind of hard to do because there's big blood splatters on the first episode or the first issue. This is how much I know about comics. You know, on the first episode. <laughs> and then there's that thing with the, on this. It, yeah, the, the Fellini bit in there when the in Night Owl's ship. That's the thing I ended up, like, having to hide from. I was, like, reading oh, that yeah. comic in front of my Church of Christ grandma. <laughs> Nice. And I was like, oh, no, I had to like, quickly <laughs> skip over this part of the issue. I have diarrhea. I have to run into the next room now. 
I have to go to this room for no reason. Don't <laughs> yeah, follow. Right. Um, so yeah. Uh, so Watchmen obviously deals with themes of like a totalitarian government. Um, you've got Nixon has been president due to a repeal of the 22nd amendment for how long he's president in 1985 still. Yeah. So a good solid 11 years after, cause the, the original story is, is took place in 1985. Right. So, or 1985, 1986. So yeah. he, um, has been president for an additional 11 years. And um, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. Alan Moore, I'm, maybe I'm confusing it with V now, but there was this, v, he was, he was bristling at the Thatcher years. Yes. Oh yeah. There's like a ton of like, basically all of the early um, output of all those guys who are the British invasion of uh, the specifically DC comics, but all of those guys, um, Garth Ennis and Warren Ellis and Grant Morrison and Alan Moore and uh, the guys who worked on like uh, 2000 AD, which was like a comic collection magazine in the UK. uh, All of that was anti-Thatcher. Yeah. And it was like uh, Grant Morrison specifically talks about, um, you know, when I guess it was Thatcher on a, some news interview somewhere talked about rounding up gay people and putting them in camps because that would be mm. a good way to keep AIDS from spreading. Right. Like, uh, so you get basically when a lot of disaffected British youth start bands that are like the Sex Pistols, or maybe mm. they are the Sex Pistols, you right. get the guys who can't sing all start making comics that are right. about the same thing. Right. It's all about raging against the system and being punk for punk's sake and breaking down things just because institutions don't work and right. they're not working for us. So we'll let's not make them work for anything. So, right. yeah. And it's um, like, it just seems like in the age of Trump, the notion of, I, 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 it really hit me when I was, I'm reading trans metropolitan again, and I don't want to get too far into that, but you know, this idea that like a journalist is going to say something that's going to make people furious at a politician that just feels like it doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. I, I mean, I had, I had this conversation this morning with Shay that, you know, I have, almost completely lost faith that people will listen anymore. I feel like a lot of what a lot of the output from someone like Trump is designed to encourage people who don't want to think that they don't have to. And that's where the V speech, and I haven't looked again at the book, but I watched it again in the movie version where he takes over the camera feed. Right. And he's, he goes into all of this, like, I know why you did it. You were afraid who wouldn't be right. Right. Um, And he talks about how it was made okay for people to sort of, roll over and go on with their lives yeah. while government took over and did things that they felt they couldn't handle right. or had no equipment to deal with or no tools to deal with. Yeah. And that they totally. voluntarily gave it over right. because, you know, you're busy raising your kids, you're busy paying off your mortgage, you're busy with whatever. Right. But we've got time to round up the ne'er-do-wells and put them in camps. Well, we'll let the government deal with that. And I feel like this is, for me, kind of the split between V and Watchmen, which is V says... I trust the people if they know, if they have the tools, if they are led, they will do the right thing. We will rise up. We will win. And I mean, Adrian Veidt at least says, screw that. I got to take care of this or we're going to destroy ourselves. Right. I mean, I would say that V, I feel like is a character. It, well, it's not a character. Sketch. It's a, a first draft almost of Watchmen. Yeah. Where it's like, I've got some ideas that aren't finished yet. So I'm going to put them together. And then, you know, I've got this story because there's a whole lot of stuff in V that got cut out for the movie right. that doesn't really necessarily serve the narrative. I got to um, be honest, well, the, the part with the computer, I feel is the biggest cut. That's the most yeah. unkindest cut of all. I would have loved I, to see that in the movie. I was going to reference that. I was also maybe going to talk about the acid trip in the internment yeah, camp. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that I think both of those, I don't miss them when I watch the movie. I'll put yeah, it that way. That's fair. Um, I think, <clears throat> I don't know. 
Alan Moore obviously has taken his name off of all of the things that have been adapted from his work. Even right. the Watchmen TV series that came out on HBO, was yeah. it last year? He's not referenced on that. And it's have you seen he, that? What's that? Have you seen that? I watched the first episode of it uh, last week, and okay. I liked it. I don't, I didn't love it. Okay, but it's so it's far enough in the future after what Veet does to Manhattan, right? That um, you hear me? I'm still trying to talk with not spoilers, even though really, if you haven't <laughs> read Watchmen, it's your fault. Oh, we can uh, spoil Watchmen. Go ahead. I mean, we'll spoil all of them. Just go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of Watchmen, Adrian Veet, who is supposedly the smartest man in the world. Uh, has cloned an alien something or other and drops it in the middle of Manhattan and causing a psychic event that murders, what is it, millions of people? Right. And it causes the entire world to come together in a peaceful movement. And instead of fighting each other, they're like, you know, united against a common enemy, which they, I guess they believe is extra-dimensional right. alien terrorists. Right. Um, so it, the, the TV show happens in a 2019 that is after that 1986. Yeah, okay. And so you get lots of people who are... I don't know, modeling their behavior after they, what they believe Rorschach would have done gotcha, and what gotcha. they believe Veet would yeah, have done. Yeah, and I got the but, sense about that. I just haven't seen it. I've heard mixed things. I was just curious to know what you thought about it. Cause yeah, I got I, nothing yet, really. See, and I, I I, read some of the, what was it, Beyond Watchmen, After Watchmen comics? Before Watchmen. Before Watch, duh. Yeah, you hated that. I felt like it was so hit and miss. Um, yeah, I feel like the, the comedian stuff was good, but it's, it was also very predictable. Yeah. Like, we know where this character came from. Right. Um, I thought the Osmondi stuff was kind of gross and boring. I mm. didn't really get into it. Um, I can't yeah, remember which I, ones I, I read. Honest, but... I didn't really finish it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and I suppose the question that comes up most often when I talk to people about Watchmen is which character you identify with most. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, I think when you're a kid, you want to identify with Rorschach. Why? Because he's an outsider, because he seems unstoppable, because he's in control of his own destiny in the face of everything. I also think it's partially because he's an absolutist. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to deal with blacks and whites when you're a kid. Right. Uh, you know, the older I get, the more I identify with Night Owl. Yeah, I was going to say um, Night Owl. Like Dan Dreberg, Night Owl, as opposed yeah. to Hollis Mason. I'm not oh, there sure. yet. Of course. Um, <laughs> But I know for like I was I was kind of inspired. I think it was yeah it was it was last year. I took my daughter to Pride and there was someone dressed like Hooded Justice. Wow! And I was like, that's brilliant because <laughs> yeah. you know, Hooded Justice in the comic they make it clear that he's a closeted gay man who right. doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah. And within the world of Watchmen, you know, the silhouette gets killed for being gay. Sure. So it's pretty clear that there's like I mean you know talk about the railing against the Thatcher years. That's a yeah, pretty yeah, obvious yeah. one right sure. there. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, that kind of appropriation was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I will say in the series, they've done something different with hooded justice okay. and I'm not going to mess that up for you. I'll let I you watch that. that. So. And I mean, the other thing that I always want to talk about with Watchmen is ultimately, I believe it's really about Adrian's ego. One white man can fix the world if he just has enough power and money. Well, and okay. Yes. The U S and Russia are on the brink of war, but that stalemate has been altered because John Manhattan left. Well, why did John Manhattan leave? Cause Adrian kicked him out. Right. So none of this would have been necessary if Adrian hadn't taken that step. I mean, maybe we don't know, but certainly when he took that step, it moved the world a lot closer to nuclear war. And it may be that he was just trying to stop postponing the inevitable, but that's the thing about this sort of like speculative timeline stuff. You don't know you know, the idea that like there was no other choice. We had to do this or we were going to destroy ourselves. And it takes a tremendous amount of ego to assume that you have a lock on the only choice that there is. Right. And you have to be willing to take everyone else's choice away. Right. Exactly. I think, and I think one of the things that they, I think that's part of the reason they call him, 
you know, the smartest man in the world and they yeah. make that some of his PR and they, yeah. you know, essentially give him near godlike powers mm-hmm. at the end of the mm-hmm. at the end of the story right. is because he's had it in still. I, I think he's you know, he is rich white man run amok. He right. is. And if you want to really bring in the Trump analogy here, yeah. someone who has been told from birth, you can do anything you want by virtue of your position. Well, to be fair, he threw away all his money and started again from nothing, which Trump would never do. So, uh, you know. Except and for he, 1989 when he actually did that. Well, a casino not on purpose. Though. <laughs> no. Um, but, I, I, would he volunteer? No, would, Trump would never voluntarily give up anything. Right. Yeah. And and Vite reads books, we can assume. But oh, apart from that, you know, yeah. Are there um, any pictured? I'm trying to think now. <laughs> well, I, I don't have a citation for that. Fair enough. Like, the idea of Trump, you know, the idea of Trump in front of the wall of screens, which <laughs> right. Reed actually has, like, I, I feel like we're hearing that come out of some of the books being written about the White House right now. But then there's the question about feeling every death, which yeah. is, let's be fair, it's kind of a pompous speech to begin with. But yeah. I do think that he doesn't take lightly the fact that he caused all these people to die. Which Trump absolutely would. Which Trump and, absolutely, well, he, and, which he does. I mean, 100,000. It's it, yeah. a success, right? Like, come on. Um, it's kind of a badge of honor to be a hundred thousand dead people. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, which you know, and 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 that I think is why John's line at the end of the story about nothing ever ends is so powerful to me. Because in order for the ends to justify the means, there have to be ends. And John right. says nothing ever ends. So then, what do you do with that whole you know idea? It's that issue of limited human perspective. Right. Like, and, and we're having that right now with the coronavirus stuff where people mm-hmm. are like, I just want it to get back to normal. Right. Well, that assumes that you know what normal is going to look like. That assumes that normal is going to be what it was before everything happened. Well, and that your normal is the same, kind of that other norm, that, uh, what's normal for other people or that you're getting back to normal doesn't come with a cost for other people. Yeah. But it assumes an end. It assumes that this right. will end and right. things will go, you know, back, I guess, right. or at least this will stop. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe, you know, limited uh, quarantine is something we all have to learn to live with. Like, you know, science fiction novels where people live underground. Yeah, right. The scraps and Demolition Man. <laughs> yes. We just watched Tank Girl again. And uh, oh, yeah? there's some interesting parallels there. Did you ever read that comic book? Oh, I used to love Tank Girl. Again, Tank Girl is one of those that came out of the anti-Thatcher thing. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the movie, movie's not my favorite. Yeah. I see as a kangaroo is not it's to be walked away really from. really cheesy. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, um, I got, I, it's been so long since I saw Tank Girl. I have nothing intelligent to compare there. That's so fine. I'll Laurie Petty is awesome. Comic. We had, and the comic we... was very like embracing the, like I said, that punk sensibility, that riot girl, let's yeah. bust you up. Right. So. Well, and it, I read, I, I was looking about, I don't know. I was just seeing what critics had said about it. And someone said it passes the Bechdel test in the first five minutes or something. I was like, yes, that's awesome. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Especially um, if you know kangaroos. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, so you, you, you found Watchmen issue by issue. And I mean, is there anything other than what we've already talked about that makes it stand out for you? I remember for a long time, it was the book. Whenever anybody expressed an interest in comics, Garrett would show up with Watchmen and be like, here, read this. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like, I feel like for a lot of people, especially adult people, it was something you could hand people and go, if you don't think you like comics, you will probably like this because it was one of the few things that was, collected and published all together, which was a stopping point for a lot of people. Nobody wanted to, especially when we were young adults, nobody wanted to try to find 
issue 137 yeah. and everything around it, it was right. like, well, if you can give me a complete story, I'll read it, but I'm yeah. not going to go hunt down issues. Well, that's I think why I've always enjoyed trade paperbacks more to begin with. It's just, I just want the thing in my hand and then be like, okay. I understand that. And I think for some people, there's like part of that collector's gene, people who collect things, you know, I think for a lot of comic book fans back in the day when there was no other way to do it, you, if you didn't have that collector's gene, you would just kind of miss out on some stories. Right, right. Um, the trade paperback or the collections are always nice to have. Um, and as I've, like I said, as I've gotten older, I've sort of embraced them completely. And now there are way too many of those in my house. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, I used to default to that because it was one of the few things that I could count on to be, to, that I could hand somebody and go, this is a complete story. Right. And it's brilliant and you should read it. And then it was the whole rest of the world. I, it seemed like caught up in the late nineties and it started making like the New York times top 100 books of all time lists right. and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I've kind of stopped recommending it since then because, you know, the world is kind of doing it for me. Right. It's not and a now, sleeper hit that you need to let people know about anymore. Right. It's no longer, I don't have that religious zeal anymore. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, now it's more of me. I tend to recommend things that I feel like are more tailored to, and this might be the librarian in me, uh, tailored to people's sensibilities. Like mm -hmm. if you like horror books, Oh, you're going to love this. And right. so I'll make a recommendation. Like right. That. And then, yeah, it was definitely the default for a while. And the other part of Watchmen that I always like to talk with people about, I had a student recently who did, eh, it was a few years ago, but anyway, she did an independent study with me. She just, she took AP English with me as a junior and the next year. She's like, I just want to read a lot of other literature. And I'm like, cool, let's do it. And she read Watchmen and like what she was fixated on the Black Freighter. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to get fixated on the Black Freighter. Because? Um... For some of the same reasons that people get, I mean, obviously it kind of springs out of Coleridge yeah. and I think it gets, you know, Coleridge is also easy to fixate on. Look, right. Douglas Adams was fixated on Coleridge. Yeah. Um, a lot of, I think there's a lot of poetry in the imagery. I think people relate to, um, you know, journeys that never seem to end and that make mm -hmm. you go crazy before you get there. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I think that's why, is it Bernie? The characters are both named Bernie, the news guy and yeah, the kid yeah, reading right, the, the sure. series. Um, I think, you know, the kid, I think gets fascinated with it because it's escapism but I also think it's escapism that ultimately doesn't work. And I think sometimes that's the most brilliant kind of escapism mm. is where you thought you were escaping, but really this is just a mirror held up to the shit that's happening. Right, right. And it's, it, you know, the person will give you what you want, which is an exciting adventure story or it's a, you know, story about witches or whatever it is. But then they work in some things about the meaning of life or, you know, like the inexorable right. pull. And I think that's when speculative fiction, which we used to just call science fiction, but yeah, speculative yeah. fiction is, is at its most useful is mm -hmm. when it can – Take something that's happening now and, yeah. you know, show you, well, this is what this could be. Or this is what yeah, this should yeah. be. Or maybe if you hadn't thought about it this way, you should. Right. Um, some of my like first introductions to ways to deal with the troubles of non-binary people without having to like talk to non-binary mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. and get in their face and go, what would you like to be called? Yeah. We're in speculative fiction. Sure. Uh, there are a couple of authors out there right now who write characters who you can read the entire book and you will never know the gender of the person yeah. you just read. Right. Um, and so I feel like when speculative fiction does its job, it does exactly what you described. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, you thought this was this, but it right. wasn't. It was this other thing. And I feel like the Black Freighter also is, again, and, and I don't know, I feel like it's, in a way, it's kind of a Rorschach test, haha, of, you know, you know, the guy thought he was protecting people. He ended up doing something terrible, right? And I yeah. don't know, that's how I kind of feel about Adrian so that it feels kind of like a synecdoche in the story of like, here's this person who's overwhelmed with this idea. He's fixated on it. He is certain that this is the outcome. So he does this horrible thing to try to protect people from this outcome he was certain of. How do we know that that was certain to happen? 
Well, and I think he's all the characters because right. I think that that's every superhero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely Rorschach. Rorschach right. is absolutely convinced that his morality is the right one and right. that he has to act. And if he yeah. doesn't, people will be hurt. Right. And it's worth hurting other people. To I mean, it's the same goals. It's just a smaller scale. Um, and I feel like, you know, Dr. Manhattan in a different way is that same situation again where he feels like he has a lock on how much he should interfere or not. And maybe he's wrong. And that kind of, I feel like the whole tale, the whole story is a cautionary tale about being overconfident. Right. And it feels like if anybody has a wise approach to that, it's John, because he's like, I'm my best thing I can do is step away. And we might see that as kind of a Taoist perspective of like, just let the universe do its thing. I'm going to step over here onto Mars and make my little crystal clock or whatever. Um, and I, I mean, feel, I'm- no, go ahead. I also like the idea that like you cannot have you it is not possible for you to have enough perspective to make decisions for other people unless you are omniscient and no one is. Right. And I think that's sort of the lesson of Dr. Manhattan, Mm -hmm. like where he says, you know, when you're talking about nothing ever ends. Well, the only way he knows that is because he can literally experience all of time all at once, you know, subjectively. So, yeah. And I feel like, you know, Rorschach's final action before he goes off to Antarctica is to send out his journal. Right. Right. And. Again, that sort of speaks to this thing from Transmet of if you let people know, it's it's important to let them know. Because at the end of Watchmen, obviously, it ends up at that, I don't remember the name of the publication. Uh, New Frontiersman. That's the one. Uh, you know, it's conspiracy theorists and fruitcakes who are going to be reading it, right? But it's nevertheless, Alex Jones, yeah, people, in like 1985. Yeah. Right. So that's the thing is that like you know, the value of journalism, the value of truth telling. I mean, I believe in the power of it, right? I wouldn't teach if I didn't, I wouldn't talk about East Timor if I didn't, but it, it certainly does feel less effective now than ever before. And again, I think that gets back to people's either disinclination or inability to do their, their part of the intellectual heavy lifting. They'd Mm -hmm. rather just be told than have to think it through. So does V actually inspire kind of anarchist thinking or is it more hey i'll give you a better person to follow Hmm. i mean when it comes to evie he obviously is not just going to have her follow him no um because he's decided that he is and again almost dr manhattan like too removed from the action that he means to take for it to be effective or for it to have meaning right that it has to come from someone who is who has more connection with what's going on or like, yeah, or it doesn't mean anything. Um, I feel like his is more burn the shit down and start over Mm -hmm. because I think that he has, because of his video, I'm I'm talking mostly from the movie here because I feel like most people will have experienced that Mm -hmm. more so than the graphic novel Um, because of the video that he makes where he like sort of lectures all of great Britain. um, He's lost faith in people to do things on their own. And so not only is he going to push it forward for them, but he feels like that that's the only act that will cause them to move. If you right. won't move on your own, then I'm going to blow things up and make you start over for you. And since you can't be counted on to think this through on your own, you'll have to do in order just to undo right. or to rebuild. Right. Um, and again, punk sensibility. We're going to break mm-hmm. it down because it's mm-hmm. not working. Right. But but he's also a thief of culture. I think that's something that sets V apart in a way because he recognizes the power of film, the power of theater, the power of storytelling, um, the power of flowers, dude. He's into flower power, man. I mean, I think that could be also a little masturbatory on the part of Alan Moore <laughs> right. because like that's what Alan Moore, it, 
and again, I do not own, I'm not going to trash the master here, but I am yeah. going to tell truths. Right. Um, a lot of the material from V for Vendetta is, you know, um, Edmund Dante's. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the material for Watchmen is the original Charlton Comics characters. Mm-hmm. Rorschach is a remix of The Question. Okay. It was created by Steve Ditko. Uh, you know, Dr. Manhattan is a remix of Captain Adam. Okay. And he's, a, you know, that's not a secret. It's published in the original collection of Watchmen where Alan Moore is like, I took all these great characters that nobody was doing jack shit with right. and did this cool thing with them. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like in a lot of ways, and you know, that's what Neil Gaiman does in American mm-hmm. gods. That's mm-hmm. what we do. I, I feel like a lot of really effective writing of the last, especially maybe 40 or 50 years has come out of, here's a thing that you thought you knew pretty well. And we've, you know, shaken that up and made it relevant for the time that you live in. Um, well, I mean, Shakespeare never wrote an original story in his life. Right. I mean, okay, so more than more than 40 or 50 years <laughs> right. yeah. with that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fucking Beowulf poet heard a story that he some, <laughs> someone heard from someone else and someone else, and then he wrote it down. Everyone's like, oh, my God, Beowulf's amazing. So, that yeah. Homer guy, he just ripped me off when I was telling <laughs> Is this about his Homer's Odyssey, is this about that minivan I rented once? <laughs> it had co- uh, slots for every coin from penny to quarter. And cup holders. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that might be a nod at himself, but I also feel like he's. That's uh, there's a cautionary note in there for me too. When you decide that you're going to break down institutions, don't return us to the dark ages. Please right. keep some of the art and the medicine and yeah, the knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Like the I, and that's the thing when when, you, when I listen, to, you know, like if we take Tyler Durden for instance from Fight Club, oh, you know, okay. his he has from what I can tell, no interest in preserving art. He is an anarcho-primitivist of the basest kind. And, you know, it's sort of 12 monkeys-ish, right? This idea that you're going to, like, just destroy everything, and that will get rid of all the bad stuff, and then we'll have a chance to try again, and the good stuff will rise somehow for some reason. The idea of killing the cancer patient. Right. Like, this is so out of control that there's nothing that we can do without killing the patient, so I might as well just do that. Right, and again, that feels like something that appealed to me a lot when I was 14, you know, and I'm like, ah, the system, and, you know, I'd listen to Corrosion of Conformity real loud, and I was just like, you know, it's the live version of Stigmata, like, F you, F everybody. Um, but when I get to be an adult, I'm like, you know what? It's not quite that simple. And I think, you know, speaking only for myself, East Timor taught me a lot of that, right? Because before I found East Timor, I would be like, U.S. Congress, dog, Maltov at it and burn the whole thing down. And then I met with people who were in Congress who cared about human rights. And I'm like, oh, wait, I don't want this person to go away. They're pretty cool. Yeah. They're an actual person who knew yeah. that those were really like, and that, that makes, that makes that kind of, yeah, desire for revolutionary change harder because you have to be nuanced. You have to accept the fact that it's not just scumbags and pedophiles on the other side of the barricades. And being nuanced is no fun at all. It's It's exhausting. It takes forever. (laughs) I'm not enjoying the revolution. This is way less fun than I was told. (laughs) Yeah, really? Um, So how did you find V? Uh, Backwards acquisition. Uh, This is one of those things that I, it has been a theme throughout my life um, where I get curious about what came before the thing that's in my hands. And so I go in both directions. And so if you've got um, a comic book and you're on issue 137, uh, if that's the first one that lands, well, I'll use an actual example. X-Men 180 was the first X-Men comic that I read. The next two comics that I bought were X-Men 179 and X-Men 181. (laughs) Is it not hard to keep the story straight when you do it that way? Uh, I, when you're, I, when you start doing it that young, I don't think so. I think I just trained my brain to do that. It's the same thing that makes kids willing to play a Mario game for hours just to find all the little hidden places you're not supposed to go. 
yeah, probably instead of pushing that button over and over again, I was just keeping multiple <laughs> storylines in my head. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, would, of course, bore the shit out of anyone that was willing to listen for hours about what I had just read. Oh, right. you know, Wolverine can do. I don't care. <laughs> well, I'm going to follow you around and tell you anyway. Um, so, yeah, I picked up V. And, again, I got it because I was flea market shopping. I picked, uh, It was originally 10 issues. I bought all 10. And, well, and actually, those 10 issues, no one cares about this. But, no, those 10 issues – were reprints of where he hit where Alan Moore had originally published it. And I don't know if that was 2000 AD or somewhere else, but it appeared hmm. episodically in some English uh, comics magazine. Interesting. So the 10 issues that got published here originally got published by DC before Vertigo even existed mm. and then republished as for under the DC Vertigo imprint, which is how you can find it now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was able to buy all 10 issues all at once. Like I found the guy at a flea market and you know, they were all 10 collected together. And it was that same impulse that makes you buy trade trades now where you're like, right. oh, it's all together. I'm buying yeah, it. Sure. I don't care how much it is. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. I, so I read all. Of, <laughs> and all had you. Things. Sorry. did you, So did you when you saw that, did you know the name Alan Moore from Watchmen then? Yeah, I did. Oh, OK. So you were like, and OK. I, this I initially did not really like. Uh, is it David Lloyd, the artist? Oh, the art is a lot messier in that than right. it is in Watchmen. Well, especially when you just come off Dave Gibbons, who yeah, the man's right. fucking genius. I mean, and it's like, a very clean and visually intentional book, and it feels like V isn't nearly as planned no. out. Dude, especially, can we just take a minute and talk about Watchmen issue six? Is that the one with the um, perfect the symmetry throughout yeah, the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's just crazy. Like yeah, I, the fact that they were able to pull that off at all—that Moore right. wrote that and that Gibbons was able to design it in Absolutely. a way that works. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, when I. Got into the did not really like the art style at first and had to get used to it. And um, but, you know, that was part of a comics education is realizing that you have to get past certain things sometimes to find a good story. Um, did not really identify with a lot of the the villains felt kind of unsatisfied with the way that the revenge worked. Wasn't really sure what to make of V initially, uh, but really enjoyed the story. Like once I had read it two or three times in a row and you again talking about. Someone who's like 13 reading this all in one sitting and going, I don't understand what that was. Right. So, and yeah. it, it feels to me like when I think about it now, I don't know why I never thought about this before, but whatever. The, I mean, first of all, we don't really meet the villains of Watchmen, leaving aside the question of whether Adrian's a villain or not. I mean, just, you know, he killed a few million people, whatever. Just gonna uh, leave that aside, huh? <laughs> just to the, as a I footnote, right? Um, but you know, we don't we don't really encounter Russian leaders or U.S. leaders the people that were are are potentially causing the most harm um whereas in v like they're front and center we know you know the yeah. people involved not very well but somewhat well and they're not funny the right. villains of even the like the incompetent heads of state in Watchmen when we're shown like nixon and kissinger and ford right there's literally a panel of ford falling down the stairs yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. Right. that you know that that's the joke yeah um and so yeah we're shown them and we're shown them being somewhat weak and cowardly and sometimes even funny. And right. so they're human. Right. Uh, the villains of V are not, yeah. and neither is V. It, it's like everyone is a, and like you said before, it's a huge theatrical cutout right. of what these people are. The cops are cops. And right. uh, up until the point where they they break the rules a tiny bit. And I feel like that's as the story sort of breaks down. And that's right. where, you know, we're talking about the subplots that are left out of the movie where people start breaking out of their roles. And I feel like that's, the, the subtle nuanced version of what V is hoping for. And I feel like that's in some ways quintessential Alan Moore. We watched a documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but he, they, it's this long interview with him. And at one point he talks about how human civilization was a solid and then it turned into liquid and now it's becoming a vapor. And Diane and I looked at drugs, it, you know, right. 
So <laughs> it seems like the acid trip in V is not um, insubstantial. No, so much. Not it's, it's about him stepping out of the walls, confining his identity as a police inspector. And I don't remember if the scene from the movie where they meet in the playground is in the book or not, but that one always stays with me. You know, this idea of I was waiting for you, inspector, like this, you had to be there. And in a way, you know, that's really essential for Watchmen, too, because John has to be there in this moment in order to get him kicked out. He has to be on TV in order to have the bomb dropped and then he can get kicked out. Um, Right. What you know, Rorschach has to go back to that house so he can get arrested and get out of the way, right? This idea yeah. of things falling into their place, including all of us, is messed up, but satisfying in a way. Yeah. And they do manage to retain some of that sort of otherworldly insight for that character in the v, in V for Vendetta the movie. Right. Uh, when he talks about how he had just he kind of I think the character spends a night sort of staring off into the middle distance and drinking scotch and yeah, comes in yeah. the following morning and he's right. explaining to his lieutenant that, you know, um, he ha- kind of had a, a vision of the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he could see what things were happening. He starts talking about the things that are in the movie as they're concurrently right, happening. Right. Like, and the dominoes that, being set up. Yeah. And the girl being shot as she's right. vandalizing the the wall right. and then people right. not taking that shit and rising up against the fingermen. Yeah. Um, so he starts talking about that and it gives him that sort of insight, which I feel like is, I almost like that better because I don't feel like it's got that, you know, dark monk Rasputin more feel to it as much as it's just human insight. Like if you work, I like the idea. I'm going to go ahead and cop to this really quick (laughs) because I am a comic book collector from way back that heroism comes from within. You always Mm. have it. And that if you, all it really takes is you being able to focus and step up when it's necessary and you You, will be able to exhibit, if not superpowers, at least what you need for that moment. You say, you I will, to... I will take the ring and I will go to Mount doom. Basically. Yeah. Like, that's I don't not have... something that everybody's willing to do. And it's sometimes, you know, Tolkien said courage comes from unlikely places. I will jump in front of the bullet. I will walk backwards on the city street. I will yeah. run toward the fire. People do right. it all the time. Right. Um, so that's what I feel like he's doing in that case because he becomes basically super inspector. You know, he focuses his insight. So, so he gets such a laser focus on his insight that he's able to not really predict the future, right. but call events and say, this is what's likely to happen. Yeah. I've watched human beings my whole career, right. and I can tell you what they're going to do next. To see the pattern from a distance, which again, Watchmen is all about those patterns, right? Oh, the, yeah. the notion oh, yeah. of the the clock hands and the 1159 doomsday clock and all of that. I think the, the idea of and flowers and right. whether those things are butterflies and flowers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, right. The Yeah, exactly. Rorschach, it's, a, it's a cute puppy. Uh, (laughs) um just real quick is there anything you'd like to say about the directors of these two films watchmen and v i know which one i preferred but i'm just curious if you have thoughts about those i love v i can't i watch it every november 5th yeah um and the wachowskis who i think i'm supposed to refer to as just the wachowskis now yeah yeah because i believe they have both transitioned at this point yes that's correct Um, and they um, both told or at least i guess lily told Ivanka and Elon Musk to fuck themselves. Good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Wachowskis to me, like when they're doing what they do well, I'm really into it. And you know, you and I have some deviance about the matrix right. sequels, but like, I, I love V from a dead. I think it falls yeah. together. Perfect. You see cloud um, Atlas. What's that? Did you see cloud Atlas? No. Curious to know what you think. It's very split opinions about that. I actually love it, but I, you know, some people don't and that's cool. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, 
the main one of the main reasons I love V for Vendetta though is that when Max was younger, I mean he ended, he has been watching that film consistently now every November fifth for about yeah. five or six years. Wow! And as a teenager, it galvanized him to like to know that he had to act. And he's yeah. I, I will I'll say I'm very proud of him right now mm. because he's spending his time to, on Memorial Day upstairs in his room making phone calls for the Democratic challenger to Scott Desjardins. Nice. So, I mean, awesome. it, so that is a, a way that I can point to that movie and say that works. Yeah, um, yeah sure. Everybody hated the twenty the two thousand nine Watchmen, and I don't really get it why they hated mm. it. Um, I didn't. I don't think it's a perfect superhero movie by any stretch. There's a lot in it that I really really like. Um, yeah. And then there's a the the change to the end. I almost feel like is you shake your head and you go, eh, budgetary constraint. Are you talking what? about the fact that it wasn't the big alien? Yes. Okay. Because the I, thing I hated about the ending, sorry, the thing I hated about the ending is the fact that they gave John's line to what's her name. Laurie. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. It made yeah. me vom- like I. I was furious leaving the theater for the first time. I was like, "Are you gotta <laughs> be kidding me? I know what John would say. Shut up." You got innervated leaving the theater and shouted out in the parking lot. <laughs> it's hard to believe, right? I, you know, for those who don't know, and I suppose most people don't know, uh, <laughs> Garrett and I had a furious screaming match in the parking garage after watching starship troopers because it was my contention that we had not tried to make peace with the alien bugs by pulling out of their colony zone and garrett was insisting that we had and i don't even know if it even comes up in the movie so much as we both believed that we saw something in the movie about that I was going to, before you brought this up, I was going to take this opportunity in front of like however many people will listen three. to this interview. There's going to be three people listening to this. Okay. All yeah. three of you then <laughs> should know that I feel like in retrospect that Eric was correct. And, I don't think I was. My, my now we're going to have a screaming like, argument about who was actually correct and we're both going to insist. Whatever. That my other... screaming half of that argument, and when I look back on it, is fairly indefensible. Um, well, I mean, I will, whatever. I will it's... stick by my Chasing Amy response, but the Starship Troopers one, I'm going to let Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about Chasing Amy? Uh, you, you I remember not liking it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care for it. I don't okay. think. Uh, I think you and John Broad were having a really extensive conversation about... Was this about... the moment yeah it was oh, well i don't blame any of y'all i mean put me and john broad in a room together and everyone else will leave like that just happens all the time there, there was kind of a you and john broad going on and on about the nature of bisexuality and me thinking you fucking don't know anything about this and so yeah <laughs> uh excuse I me is there anyone more qualified to speak about it than a cishet white guy i don't think so okay uh, so yeah, I made a very immature noise to put a stop to the conversation and perhaps should have handled that better. Well, everybody else started doing it and it was clear that like, we don't feel like listening to this stupid, boring conversation right now. And of course, in the moment, I'm thinking everyone should be delighted to hear my wonderful thoughts about this. Yeah, but it turns out, yeah, it turns out that uh, sometimes when you're with a group of people, you want to have a conversation with the whole group of people. Imagine that. Nah, eh, I mean, wait for time. right. The I'm whole point the of this podcast and you know, let us not forget is mostly I turn on the mic and I just start yammering uh, like Fry in uh, Futurama where he's like, you know, then I go to the bathroom and I can't eat more. You should write a book, Fry. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I, so people have have hammered Watchmen and I think there's there's definitely things in it to hammer. Yeah, um, I've not seen a director's cut, so I don't know if that makes any difference. I don't I think I might have, but I can't remember. There is one. I don't yeah. know if I've seen it or not. I, I've not seen it. I, I feel like a lot of people were probably just nervous about Zack Snyder being like showy, slow motion guy. And they just were nervous about Hollywood. And so I think a lot of people probably made up their mind to dislike it before they even saw it. 
Well, and let's be fair. The only thing of his that I think I had seen before that, I do not care for 300. Well, I think that's the only thing he had done, wasn't it? Nope. Oh, Isn't there also? Well, maybe it is. But there's the other. The What's the other movie? Uh, fuck. Sucker Punch. You seen oh, that? Oh, I still haven't seen that now. Uh, it's terrible. Okay. It's terrible. It's like. <laughs> Uh, objectification on a level that becomes misogyny and it's almost like he didn't realize he was doing it and okay. it's hard to, it hurt my teeth to watch Eesh. it and I don't know if that was before or after Watchmen but I think I saw it I don't know I don't know I saw Watchmen uh, in the theater now I can't remember so yeah. I don't like it either so and I didn't like Justice League <laughs> I keep giving okay. him chances and I, I don't know why fair enough so um, now, Justice, I guess Justice League isn't his fault though supposedly because because it got taken over by Joss Whedon, I guess, oh, okay. and redone, and now they're trying to release the, the Zack Snyder, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice right, League. Right. You know, know, Joss Whedon's one of these people I don't actually have an opinion about. Uh, I don't think I've seen enough from him to really feel strongly about him. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think he's, I think he's a fanboy, and so I have to give him the same latitude I give other fanboys. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's V, that's Watchmen. Anything else you want to say about those before we move on? Uh, not off the top of my head, but okay. I imagine they'll come back. Right. So Transmet, we might as well finish off the comics before we move on. And I should say also, I mean, Preacher is a, another comic that you introduced me to, and I know it's been a really important series for you. I don't feel like my perspective on that one has changed very much over time. Okay. Preacher in the Age of Trump doesn't feel different from Preacher in the Age of Bush, for instance. No, and I, I'll be honest, they altered one of the major characters in that. They made the, the TV show. Right, which I still haven't seen any of, of. What's that? I haven't seen any of that. I watched, I think, the whole first season up until they in, in introduced the Saint of Killers. Okay. And they altered him in a way that I felt like broke the character. Oof. So I quit watching it. Well, that's no good. No, because he's one of like my top five favorite characters in comics. Well, he's a great character. Yeah. And like, I just didn't, they had him do something that was cruel mm. instead of something that was just offhandedly violent. Right. I don't feel like the saint is cruel, but anyway. I, right. I so, agree with that. So, right. But, but yeah, transmet of preacher would be the same. I mean, whatever asshole is in charge, Jesse Custer wants to kick their ass. So I well, feel like, and it's, it's yeah. his beef is with God. So it's yeah. like, okay. And that's not really going to change if it's about the eternal, <laughs> the eternal didn't give a shit who pre- who's president. Yeah, I, and maybe that's not fair. I don't know. I don't want to speak for God, you know. Uh, Are you sure? Well, I mean, the we God of Corinthians Part Two. Yeah, this podcast brought to you goodbye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but Transmet is clearly—I uh, mean, it is a political story through and through. And yes. so let's start with again. I got it from you. Where did you find Transmet? Um, Transmit, I'm pretty sure John Broad and I discovered almost exactly at the same time at Borders. Remember okay. Borders? They were a bookstore. Yeah, I like worked this. at Borders, man. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have absolute power. Um, <laughs> no, that was paperback books, man. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let's take a trip down Eric's bookstore <laughs> history, man. So yeah, uh, he and I discovered that. I want to say at the same time. I, yeah. I remember sitting in a Borders cafe and reading collections of that across from each other and going holy shit right so yeah yeah, yeah. we're swearing on this program right yeah I really that's didn't fine that. yeah that's cool i try to keep it to a minimum because i never know if any of my students are gonna find it man eh, who gives a shit <laughs> so oh yeah well there's this sound effect for like that. anybody f-ing gives a shit there's <laughs> david cross talking about uh theater groups after 9-11 uh yeah. so anyway transmit is about a journalist it's about letting people know the truth but and i i I guess i had forgotten this part of the story arc he again spoilers for transmit he 
lets the people know how horrible Callahan is. And then Callahan wins. So he's right. like, at the end of the book I just finished, he's like, fuck all of you. Like he's yelling at the, t- the city being like, what the hell is wrong with you people? I tried to warn you and you ignored me. And like, so the hell with all of you. He literally detonates a ring of grenades. Right. Above the city, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's more like fireworks. He's not trying to actually kill anybody, but, but the story is just filled with like long pig and like you can get ground up Eskimo heads and stuff. Yep. Like it's so powdered twisted. children. That's a product. Right, I think right. yeah. exactly. Um, well, I think some of that is due to, I don't know if people are familiar with Warren Ellis or not, but Warren Ellis is like deliciously fucked up. Yeah. Um, there's a, a short documentary about his work on Amazon prime. If, I can't remember what it's called, Interesting. but people should look that up because it's fantastic. Sure. Um, and it has to do with not only his, his writing and what, where he comes from, but also the number of people who are currently working in comics that he's influenced. Mm. So whether you're reading Warren Ellis or not, you're reading Warren Ellis right, right now. If right, you're reading sure. comics that are coming out, cause a lot yeah. of people are like, like say that they owe their ability to break into comics, their sensibility, right. uh, you know, they're trying to get things that are a little subversive and or fucked up into a story that's published by major publishers. That was all sort of inspired by him. Cause he was the first person who showed that you could do it in a cohesive narrative format for a whole lot of issues in a row and make money off of it. Right. Right. Um, I say cohesive. We're going to have to leave out that one collection. That's got like the headless terrorist in it and the talking dog. Right. There's a place where transmit goes off the rails and you and I had a brief, I think text conversation about this Yeah. where I think that there were editorial challenges happening at that mm-hmm. point. I mm-hmm. think he was just kind of, I don't know if I'm going to get to tell the whole story I want. So I'm going to throw right. in this weird random shit for a few issues. Yeah. And it's I not, mean, not entertaining. It's just, Right. And he, and he, right. And he recognized, I mean, whatever, for whatever it was, it was a thing. And then we kind of returned to a main narrative, which I'm grateful for. I felt like, do you ever read DMZ? Yeah. I felt like DMZ set itself up really well. And then after like two collections, it just went into all these places I was not expecting or wanting it to go. And I just kind of lost, I felt like it lost its main story. There is that that curse of like especially collected format like trade paperbacks yeah. where if you get two really good ones after that sophomore effort, the third one typically will fall off. Yeah. And if you get more than that, like it's something special. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. There are obviously – there are a lot of a series that you know rail against that, but yeah. a lot of the mainstream stuff doesn't. You get I feel two like really – and basically that's like 12 really good issues. Right. A year worth of really good stories and yeah. then somebody's like, I don't know what the fuck to do now. So. Right. Or maybe it gets handed to someone else or something. Right, exactly. Like when, you know, people move off of a title and you hand it off to somebody else and they're like, yeah. uh, I always wanted to write Superman, uh, right. but I don't know what to write. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. I, did you ever read Scalped? No, I, I kind of avoided Scalped. I, I had a friend from high school who turned me on to it and I feel like it did a good job of sort of dancing between this main story, but then taking long, interesting side trips that were well worth it, but eventually you got back on the main road. Which yeah. I, I think that's my favorite is when you can take an occasional detour, but you still have this ongoing narrative, which Lazarus, I felt like, again, it sort of didn't do that balance quite so well because I'm so in love with the main story. And I don't know. I have a lot of opinions about that. But Lazarus lost me early. I've only made it through two collections of Lazarus. See, I loved Lazarus. I, I felt I, like by five, I was kind of frustrated by it. But why did I mean, you, why did Lazarus not keep you going? I mean, if it doesn't catch you, it doesn't catch it you. Wasn't, there are a lot of things I've had to realize recently. There are comics that i quit reading because i don't like them anymore and then there are comics that i quit reading just because there are other things out there that i like more than yeah. them oh sure and I'm my the same time way is with limited. video games so yeah, yeah I, I think lazarus was one that it didn't really 
I guess it didn't really lose me so much as failed to keep me. Yeah. Like I wasn't excited for the next one. I read the first two and was like, oh, that was good. And then, you know, yeah, yeah something yeah. else distracted me and I haven't come back to it yet. Right, so. Right. so in terms of Transmet, like part of what makes it magical is that he's writing about the distant future. They've cured cancer so people can smoke and not have to worry about being ill. Um, yep. You know, they're obviously growing human clones for food and all sorts of craziness. You install traits in your body like you do apps in your phone. Right, so you can right. Do an anti-cancer trait or a phone trait or what are some of the other traits? I can't remember. Uh, you can get like wings and whiskers and stuff, right? Oh, right. Yeah. There's so, like a whole movement of people who like trans just transition into like other, like not quite human forms for a right, day and they're like right. tourists. Yeah, Genetic exactly. Tourism. But then there's the group that wants to take it further and become actual half aliens or whatever. Oh um, yeah, the Fred Christ. Is... Right, Fred Christ, exactly. But and then, well, okay. and then Charon's first boyfriend, right, um, who becomes a foglet. Yeah. Which so I, I uh, don't know. I mean, I feel like that's. I've been thinking a lot about that recently too. Like, I would love to upload my consciousness to the cloud, but that wouldn't be me. No, it would be a duplicate of me. And if you yeah. asked it, are you Eric? It would be like, yeah, but it, but I would know that I hey, no, I'm actually dying here. That's not me. Ah. There's a joke that people make about, um, I don't know. I know that you're not like a Marvel movie person, but in the second Captain uh, America I saw movie, Thor Ragnarok eventually after seven years. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cute. So, uh, <laughs> in the second Captain America movie, there's a villain from the first one, uh, Arnim Zola, okay. who's like a Swiss I think he's supposed to be. I don't know if he, he's a scientist. He's okay. a scientist in the vein of evil sciences right. where he does a lot of shit and it's all evil. Um, his, his consciousness has been housed in like, you know, a floor of computers since 1950 something. Okay. Uh, when, he, when he died of cancer, I guess 1970 something when he died of cancer. Mm -hmm. So it looks like Ada, you know, it takes up an office floor and it's all magnetic tape and whatever. Right, right. And the joke about that is that it only works because, you know, he's Swiss and doesn't really have emotions that they would have had to preserve <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, which reminds me of Futurama, the neutral planet. Did you ever see that one? Yes. <laughs> if I die, tell my wife I said hello. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I get that. Like the whole Foglet thing. Like, yeah, it would be a copy of you. And I guess the question then becomes, would it matter if you had all of your memories right up to the point of death? Like if you could remember your own death and that were part of your experience. I don't wow. know if you want to do this right now. That seems like a no, whole. No, that's tangent. fine. It, yeah, it's, I mean, but for me, it's like it's not me. Like it's 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 a it's a clone of me. It's a duplicate so of me. You, and you spend I, the rest of your not life going. I'm not me anymore. Well, I'm I don't so want. Good. I don't. I mean, I'm happy for that duplicate, but I want me to live on forever. So until we can like sco scoop out the the part of the brain, you know, and put the brain in a jar, that's what I'm really after. I feel mm -hmm. like when I first read about uploading the consciousness to a cloud, I was like, yes, that'll be it. It's going to be physically possible. And then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, no, that's not actually me. It's a copy of me. And I want the me to continue to exist. So, but then Transmet deals with that too. The people who like, I forgot the photographer's name, the lady who's like, her husband unfortunately dies and they bring yeah, her yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. The revivals. The people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's her. But they're miserable, which I'm like, no, fuck that. I'd be like, yes, hallelujah. They fixed it. But I, mean, I feel like that's Warren Ellis over and over again, sort of harping on the, yes, life ends. That's what gives it meaning. Goddamn right, it. Point. Right, right. So. Which I've never been in part of that. I remember I'm, it might have been uh, Torso Man. I don't remember the comedian's name, but uh, Yay Toast. You remember him? Oh, yeah. 
uh, I think he was the one who said, my goal in life is to live forever. You know what? So far, so good. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't get into the whole vampire Lestat thing. Like, eternity is a curse. I'm, I wouldn't mind living forever. And my students are always like, well, everyone you know is going to die, man. Yeah, well, you know what? A lot of people have already died in my life and it sucked. But I continue to enjoy my life. So, like, what the heck? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, uh, back to Transmet. Uh the other thing I think that makes it kind of magical is that it is looking at this question of the power of not just writing, but like telling the truth about the part of the world that the cameras, which in transmit are everywhere, aren't going very often. Yeah. So um, he goes to the sector eight at one point and he's like, these are the people you don't want to see. And you know, I'm going to show you on your news feed. The, the idea that like it's not okay well he's uh, that's that's sort of that theme that v is on where mm-hmm. you have a society that has made it okay for you to ignore things because i feel like for most human beings you have to ignore things right like if i want to if i want to get up in the morning and take care of my kids and go to work and actually be like a decent customer service person at a you know and i work at a library let's right, not forget right. um and uh, so put forth a good face to the, to the patrons who come in and not cut people off in traffic, drag them out of their cars and murder them because I'm frustrated <laughs> where the world is going. Right. I have to ignore the way the world is going. Yeah, sure. Um, I think in the age of Trump, like I've heard, you know, news breaks more often than I ever heard before. Mm-hmm. People who used to listen to the news every day now will take a day from that and not right. because they just can't hear the news every single day. Right. So I feel like most people need some kind of a, a vacation from all of the things. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's when it gets to when you overuse it like we do everything in america when you do too much of the ignoring and now you get to ignore everything and let just society take hand take care of that that's what v objects to well, and then i think that's what spider is trying to bring people's attention to right. here's some shit you've ignored for long enough i'm going to show you this once you can ignore it again tomorrow if you want but right now you got to look right but it also i think is, is about and i don't remember if transmit gets into this i don't recall seeing a lot of it in, in the parts i've read so far again on this read but you know, to me, it seems like the biggest danger right now is amusing ourselves to death. You know what I mean? It's the idea of like, I'm going to choose to focus on those news sources that confirm my bias, that tell me what I want to hear, that convince me that, again, back to Adrian's confidence, like that my view of things is 100% correct. And anybody who questions it, even Neil Cavuto is an enemy of the people. And I, you know, I have an answer for everything. And that I think is part of what spider is trying to do in transmit is tell everybody hey your answers are shit and you need to reconsider this fact that you don't want to incorporate into your worldview yeah i mean i agree and i think that you know i i I, hmm. there's part of me that wants to refer to it as amusing ourselves to death but there's also part of me that wants to just chalk it up to laziness sheer laziness yeah right where it's like and i guess both of those are a function of leisure but like you don't want to think this through and you have been told by people that you don't have to, therefore you're not going to. And that's who you vote for is the person who will most often tell you that you don't have to think this through. Right. I alone can do this. Right. And I think to me, it depends on who I'm considering because I've had all sorts of students, some of whom have the time, have the energy, have the capacity to think critically about stuff and they just choose not to. And they are lazy and I hate them. I don't really hate them, but I hate the fact that they take that path over and over all the time. And then there's other people who I feel like have been through some serious trauma in their lives and they psychically can't take 
the onslaught of horridness and filth that's around them. And so it makes sense for them to kind of try to find shelter of some kind in an ideology or in a, in a perspective that says, you know what, this is comforting. You're in this tradition or you're in this like house or this tribe or whatever it is. And that's a place where you can get whole. And I don't, I don't fault those people. That is though, where I feel like some of what happens in transmit, which by the way, I read transmit every election year. Mm -hmm. Um, some of what happens in transmit, I feel like contradicts sort of what I see now okay. where, I don't know, you can take issue with this. You probably will. Um, that people in transmit, it's pretty clear, have the ability to go into their bubble and they yeah. can take it everywhere they want. Right, right, They've got, right. You know, heads up displays and their helmets and glasses and screens yeah. and windshields and everything. Yeah. And so they've reached a point where maybe they have suffered a terrible trauma and maybe their life is shit and maybe everything they know is awful. And so they've retreated to the bubble of either, you know, drugs or screens or whatever. I feel like people do it now, not necessarily because of it's because there's a traumatic experience, just because it's available. Oh, sure. And so, I mean, I'm I grant you the existence of those other people, but I run into fewer of them. And I also mm -hmm. guess I don't understand why, if the trauma that you've experienced was something that was horrible, why you would cleave to such horror? Because I looked at Trump and like once a day, I'm like, I can't believe he fucking said that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sort of past. I can't believe he fucking said that anymore. And I'm beyond like, oh, of course he did. Of course he's a monster. Of course he's the worst thing I can think of. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you would want that. If if you're actually like, I don't know why people don't. Have, I, I mean, I, I would imagine there's going to be like post-Trump stress disorder. Right. Where you have had to listen to this for so long that you now will expect the worst. Whoever gets elected next and next and next and next. Right. I think you're going to be pushing against this for a really long time. And this is, to me, the important distinction between being shocked and being outraged. Because as soon as, as, soon as Trump started to make atrocities towards humankind a daily occurrence, I remember people were like, why are you surprised? Why are you shocked? I'm like, it's not that I'm shocked. It's that I'm outraged. And if you refuse to be outraged because you're not surprised, then I think that's part of your humanity going away. And yeah. I think that just as nobody is going to stand up today in 2020 and say, George W. Bush was a great president. People might look back and say, I kind of wish we had him again. Or at least he was just a lovable buffoon who caused the war in Iraq, which caused a million Iraqis to die. Um, but nobody's going to say he was a great president. I want to, I, I wish that I could have a list of all the people who are so proud of Trump right now so that in 10 years we can go back to them and be like, would you like to apologize to all of humanity, please? Right. You can't hate George W. Bush. That man gave Michelle Obama candy. What's wrong with you? And he was hanging out with Ellen at the ball game. What's the problem, he, man? He made, them, he made them cute paintings of people in the bath <laughs> and whatnot. Painted his feet. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so since we're getting into electoral <laughs> politics, let's go ahead and smoothly dive over into Bob Roberts. Uh, for those who don't know, Tim Robbins made this movie back in the late 80s. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I have a device. I will look that up. Right. Uh, folk singer, renegade conservative, which, again, at the time was ridiculous, absurd. The <laughs> idea that a conservative could be countercultural, that he could be rebellious, and that people would take him seriously. But, of course, yep. that's now the playbook for the entire GOP, strangely enough. Because Bob Roberts. 1992 right. Bob Roberts. Well, okay, there you go. Um. I, again, I'm pretty sure you introduced me to this movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you remember that how you I found it? I only cop to without equivocation because I forced it on a whole room full of people. <laughs> um, it was, sorry. No, um, that's it was, fine. Uh, for those of you who didn't like it, I apologize. Um, who didn't yeah. like it? Huh? Who didn't like it? I don't know. I don't remember. I'll give um, him a beating. I mean, you may recall I was a lot less uh, sensitive towards other people's feelings back then. Get oh, back yeah, to work before I give you a beating. 
Um, so, uh, so yeah, no, it was, uh, Josh's dorm room. Yeah. Huh? Somebody, I don't know yeah. who lived there with Josh. Uh, anyway, it was the one yeah. that like we invited. I think Rocky. it was Graham Strauss, but he was never around. So, right. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So anyway, I was in that dorm room and somebody was like, Oh, I've never seen this. And I'm like, what? And I literally like went and got it and brought it back to the room. And Just like kid. Paul Beard did with the Jordy album. When I told him about the existence of that. Just like Paul Beer with a lot of things, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Beer with uh, insert everything he ever loved. Yeah. Charles de Gaulle. Yeah, uh, Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> but yeah, I, went, I literally went and got it, put it in the VCR, had to rewind it because I think it was like halfway through. Oh, and man. Like, Sorry, for some of our listeners might not be aware. You used to have VHS tapes. You had to <laughs> rewind them after watching them. But if you just got done with the movie, you didn't want to sit there rewinding it. So you just let it be unrewound. So it's, It was the opposite of being kind, as I recall. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, put it in the put it in the VCR and put it on play and like stood near the door. So yeah, and people watched it. So <laughs> you that was will like watch a, this. one yeah. of those lovely like sunlit afternoons in somebody's dorm. Right. Um, and apparently he the song the movie is filled with catchy songs. Uh, apparently he didn't make a recording of the soundtrack available because he didn't want to hear people driving by with uh, drug stink coming out of their car. Right. And and listening to the music unironically. But Eric has one. Right, exactly. It's horrible <laughs> audio quality, and I don't actually sing. It's just me talking. But if you really want to hear it, you can find it on my website. See, look, um, I plugged you. I'm doing my job. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's really the only point of this is to get the word out so I can get that cash. Once yeah. I set up a Patreon, I'm going to be rolling in it. Um. So, yeah, Bob Roberts, first of all, has Gore Vidal in it and Tim yes, Robbins and Alan Rickman yeah. in a brilliant, brilliant fucking role. Um, and is one of the few things that has like a persistent enough effect on my life that there's a reference to it on my Facebook homepage. There you go. Um, what else? Giancarlo um, Esposito. Played, what's that? Giancarlo Esposito. Right. Yeah. Um, the guy who played Leland Palmer in Twin Peaks. Ray yes, Wise. Ray Wise right. is in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a brilliant film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has like, like Eric said, a lot of, not even just like catchy tunes, but like subversive parodies of a lot of things that had already happened in music. Like oh, there's yeah. that. They send up the NXS video. They right. send up, well, basically Bob Dylan's whole career. Right. Because everything in it is like sort of a Bob, Bob Dylan Bob. turned on its yeah. head. Right. Um, and it's, yeah, it centers around a 1992 Pennsylvania Senate race between Bob, who's the, you know, I don't know, rock and rebel conservative and Gore Vidal, the world's most boring Democrat. Right. Who's got, you remember the famous scene of the movie where we're like, that's one of his books. Where he's got that giant <laughs> right. book on his Dome. head. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I love Gore Vidal. Rest yeah, in peace, sure. Gore. But like, yeah. Um, and he his job write. in the movie yeah. is to play the uh-huh. world's most boring Democrat. Right, right. It's sort of, <clears throat> that's supposed to be that cautionary message of, hey, Democrats, get your shit together and, you know, rock the vote or you're right. screwed. And right. That's pretty much- and, and I remember one of the things that stands out to me most from that film is where the filmmaker, who's this <clears throat> British guy, is talking to Jack Black about like, well, why do you like him? Right. And he's like, I don't believe he's good for your country. And that very basic idea just seems so, it shouldn't be radical. It's not a radical idea. But this question of like, is this person that you're supporting, is this person good for the country? Not just, is he going to give me what I want, but is he good for the country? That seems like kind of a radical notion right now. Well, and I feel like Americans, I mean, this mask bullshit proves it more than anything. Right. We're not encouraged to think that way. Right. I, we wouldn't have anti-vaxxers if we were encouraged to think that way. Right. That would just be normal. It right. would be normal that you would, of course, embrace herd immunity and do your job and step forward. But like, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people have that. And I don't I, I say unfortunately, because I hate this argument, but I can't disprove it um, because we haven't had 
a major crisis that forces everyone to put their life on hold, right. step forward and do their bit. Something like World War II, where you had to stop eating sugar and make sure right. you contribute to the scrap drive. Right. Because we haven't had anything like that, we don't know how to do it anymore. Well, then I was talking to my friends in the UK about video games recently, and this all came up. And I said to them, you know, because they were hard, they couldn't believe that there were people in the United States like spitting on each other and like, you know, refusing to wear. Right. And, and, and I was like, that. right. <laughs> so we were starting to speculate. And, you know, one of them, Stu, said that he, in his view, it's because it's always been remote for us, right? World War II didn't happen here. Pearl Harbor wasn't on the mainland, right? So yeah. we've always seen the rest of the world from such a distance. And 9-11, I think, was so shocking because it happened in New York rather right. than overseas and military base, whatever. But um, America is so big that even when something like that happens... Unless you choose for it to touch you, it cannot touch you. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, I mean, part of like, you know, I mean, in 9-11, like I, um, if I hadn't chosen to pay attention to 9-11, right. if I hadn't let that affect me, if I right. hadn't, you know, done what I felt like was necessary for me as a citizen, I could have just rolled on with my life and decided I didn't care. Right. I mean, the run up to that was Oklahoma City and I had to go to Oklahoma City mm-hmm. to see the site of the bombing. It was one of those things where it's just like. This doesn't necessarily land in your backyard. So I think right. it's, it's an expansion on that point. Mm-hmm. Not only did we not have things like the Blitz that happened in our country, right. but like, even when it does happen in our country, if you live you know, far enough away, right, right. not let it affect you. It might as and well that, be in France because it's, yeah, it's that far away. And from that you. choice is dangerous. That choice oh, yeah. of like, I don't have to let this impact me, so I'm not going to. Well, and it speaks to the question of what it means to be an American because being uh-huh. British I mean, let's not kid ourselves. It's not like the British never had a sense of expansion and it's happening over there so it doesn't affect us. Uh, You know, I'm sure some Indian folks would love to have a word with you about that. But nevertheless, I think that the, 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 the mixed up, um, you know, multiple personality disorder that is Americanism has never been just about one thing so that when people say I'm proud to be an American, they're usually talking about a certain kind of pride about certain things about this country that happens to fit their particular perspective. Yeah. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, like this is where I'm like, I don't know, this gets mixed up for me. I heard somebody recently, I was having a conversation with somebody and like one of the things that got said during the conversation and I, I said it and I'll embrace it now. I like Captain America a lot more than I like America because it's not just because he represents, because Captain America is my favorite superhero. It's mm-hmm. because I find him aspirational. It's, right. this is what we're supposed to be. And there's right. literally like panel after panel of, you know, a country made of immigrants. And if someone is smaller than you, you have to look out for them. Right. And, you know, we try to step up and do, we try to step up and do what's right. And that's well, not what we're about anymore. <laughs> well, and it's not just that. I mean, it's all, that's, that's Xavier versus Magneto, right? That's T'Challa versus Killmonger, right? That's most, I mean, it's certainly Batman versus, I don't know, is there a murderous vigilante in Batman that he's trying to I'm sure there's one or Stop, two. You know, whatever. It's it seems like this is something that comes up in a lot of our mythologies as a civilization. The idea that you know, it's it's uh, Planet of the Apes, War of the Apes, right? This notion that look, yes, these humans kind of suck, but at the in the final analysis, they're worth fighting for. Yeah, and I think we that appeals to us, right? 
Well, but you can't have a character called Captain Humanity. <laughs> right. But, but no, I, I, right. I agree with you. And I think, I, I don't know, this is why I wrote that thing a few years <laughs> ago about on July 4th about like, because speaking of 9-11, you know, I made some people hate me and I don't think it was untoward for them to feel this way where they felt like I was just attacking the United States when I was trying to explain what I understood about why Al Qaeda might hate us. And I went off on a long tangent of things that I was angry about with regard to us history. But you know, the longer I live, the more I feel like it's necessary to let people know that there are a lot of things I love about America. And so it is conflicted. It is frustrating to me. And I do want a simplified view of it. But as you say, there is an ideal, there is an aspiration that I shoot for. And I think it's so tempting for most Americans to cling to one or the other of these perspectives, either love it or leave it. It's amazing. It's wonderful, you know, whatever, or it sucks. It's the great Satan. It's, it's the spawn of everything evil and, you know, blow it up and start all over. See, I prefer to think of it, I guess, as like a sort of a fucked up old boat. Like this is our fucked up old boat and we keep trying to fix our fucked up old boat and get it on course. And we are so frequently blown off course by either shit that happens or a lot of the people who are in charge of the boat. And if we had, you know, different captains or a different crew Mm. or we fix things better or, you know, we were able to recognize those people down in steerage who maybe shouldn't be down in steerage. Mm. Maybe there shouldn't be steerage at all. Like then that would be that's the metaphor I guess I tend to cling to is. I don't have to love it or leave it or, you know, hate it. I can can look at it as this thing that I am momentarily responsible for helping maintain. And, and I can find a place on the boat to make it better. And I'm not necessarily in charge of the whole boat. Right. What are you good at? Well, then we'll put you there in the boat and you can work on that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. Um, with regard to Bob Roberts, it feels oh, right. in a way, right. it feels almost quaint in a way because you know the movie is about the danger of a charismatic, slick-talking con man who's going to make you believe things that aren't true. He didn't actually get shot. Spoilers. Oh my uh, god! I know, right? And uh, it was but actually it's actually a man. I mean, man, what a good <laughs> <Exactly>. movie! <laughs> Boom. Uh, yeah. Um, that was a Simpsons reference for those who don't know, but Antonio caught that probably. Uh, so it's, but you know, I don't know. Is that, do we need a new political movie along the lines of Bob Roberts, but that takes it even further because it's again, it feels like Bob Roberts is kind of quaint now. Is this you opening up me or opening up for me to talk about wag the dog? Go ahead. Okay, because that's also like you were talking about things that I do every election year. I retransmit during election year. I watch Bob Roberts during every election year and also try to like foist it on as many people as humanly possible. Right. Uh, you know, in the tradition of that first, I'm going to barricade <laughs> you in here make you watch it. Yeah. Um, Wag the Dog is one of those movies for me. Uh, Wag the Dog, uh, Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman and Anne Hesch, all of whom are freaking brilliant in it. Yeah. Um, William H. Macy, also very good in that movie. That's right, I forgot about um, There's lots of good stuff. And essentially the movie is – it's about truth and the absence thereof and how people get manipulated to believe in things for the sake of the people in charge. And it takes a Clinton esque sort of president who Mm -hmm. is may or may not have, I believe the phrase is fuck the firefly girl. (laughs) And because they can't, you know, you can't go after the girl scouts because they'll sue you. Um, And uh, what they do is essentially manufacture a war, but not really a war. We go to war with Albania without really right, going to right, war with right, them right, right, right. in order to distract from the fact that the president may or may not have fucked a firefly girl. <laughs> and yeah, Willie Nelson and Dennis Leary. Wow. Uh, I, I need to um, see that again. Yeah. It's been a while. It's a, it's a brilliant movie. And it's one of those movies I feel like kind of does some of the job of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of takes some of the, 
Like, Wag the Dog is still funny. Bob right. Roberts, you're right. It almost feels like a fairy tale at this point. Like, it, you're right. It is quaint. It's like, oh, this is a lesson we all already know. And we feel like we're, I don't know, too intelligent, too educated, too too savvy for that, um, when probably that's not true. Um, well, and, Wag- but, but on the other hand, sorry, like on the other hand, I feel like Bob Roberts is so prescient because it's got mob violence. They take out Giancarlo, right? It's got yeah. this attitude of like, we don't care about the homeless. I can't even pronounce the number, you know, this, it, 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 and, and the people who are going to vote for Bob Roberts, they don't even care about the truth. Like it's, there's no point trying to get through to them. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't know. Well, I think that's somewhere between like what, I mean, I feel like you get the cause of that in Wag the Dog. Why don't right. we care about the truth? Well, because right. we don't know what it is. Right. And right. we assume that there are big forces moving around us all the time that are controlling what we see. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm fond of saying, especially recently, is I don't know how much news there is in my news. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't seem like a whole lot. Um, right. I don't know how much food is in my food. Right. As an American, I have to read labels to sort of mm-hmm. figure out what the hell, you know, I'm interacting with on a day-to-day basis. And when you assume that you're being lied to most of the time, right. then I feel like it gets easier to just kind of accept, you know, in some cases, it, if you question absolutely everything, which is my sort of way that I'm hardwired, mm-hmm. eventually it becomes exhausting. Well, right. And that's why I think, you know, it ultimately comes down to a question of who you trust, right? Because people who are anti-vaxxers aren't anti-vaxxers for no reason. It's because they trust stupid people unquestioningly. Like they become fanatical about it. So then so the that question is, it's how a cult. Did you start listening to Jenny McCarthy. Why right. did that happen? Right. Yeah. Or yeah, like you know, Fox News is what led me into this particular river. But then I moved into this tributary, and now I don't even trust Fox News. Like right. the, yeah. the cult of personality has become a cult of ideology, such that it's again, it's like impenetrable. Like, what do you do with people who are in a cult? It's you just deprogram them. Right, but you can't go out and deprogram a whole group of people. So you'd have to figure out how to – that would be like the next big media movement would be right. figuring out how to do that. How do right. you get something that's so popular right. that it convinces people that by by being part of the popularity of that thing, they should think for themselves. Everyone well, think for themselves. I think no, the clear uh, pop culture precedent for this is a little movie called Hackers wherein they hack the planet <laughs> – and Acid Burn and Scumbag McGee, whatever their names were, end up swimming that right. Oh, God, that movie's so fucking No, it's brilliant. It's a genius film. It's that, that same era with Johnny Mnemonic in it. Yeah. And the net. Yeah, I forgot about oh, that. Oh, man. Andy Bullock, early effort there, yeah. That's right. Lawn, I, makes me, I need to watch Lawnmower Man again. That's, yeah. That's you see, I used to love Lawnmower Man because it was CG <laughs> in an era where it didn't have a lot of good CG, and it blew me away. But if I watched it now, I'd probably vomit all over my shoes. Do you remember, do you remember that? It was like a free VHS tape people gave away called Beyond the Mind. Oh, Bye. yeah. I love that shit. That was my what Lawnmower that was Man my looks like now. Jam. Absolutely. It the first, I think this is correct. You can, you'll have to look this up, but I'm pretty sure it has the first CGI sex scene in it. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. I remember so. that, too. Uh, it was around the same time as the uh, was second future, the future crew, second reality, whatever it was. Oh, man, we used to watch that over and over in Drew Altman's room. Anyway, uh, going off on these memory lane uh, recollections, um, I feel like we covered a lot of good territory here. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't know. I, I kind of waver these days between 
not necessarily pessimism, but rather resignation that things might change. You know, think about Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Scott Walker just kind of went away, right? Wisconsin didn't have some massive consciousness raising. Scott Walker didn't do something atrocious that made everybody hate him. Things just went different. And now Evers is the governor. And thank God for that. Yeah. So that's the kind of attitude I have these days is like, you know, whereas before I was like, Ace Timor must be free. Let's do everything we can every waking moment to make it happen. Now I'm like, eh, at some point Walker will go away. I don't know. So, I mean, at some point Trump will go away. But at some point Trump will go away. The problem, I mean, hopefully he'll go to prison. But right. I mean, <laughs> the problem with that and the problem that I'll always have with that is that I can't, while I also subscribe to some of that resignation myself, I can't give into it Yeah. because then it will keep me from doing, if there is a part for me to do, I won't do it. Right. No, I agree with that. And I, 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 I'm never going to stop being involved in that sense in smaller ways. And I feel like education is a part of that. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think I have the same fervor for hitting the streets that I used to just because I feel like, you know, things change for such weird reasons. I guess I don't feel like I have that cause and effect sense. Um, but nevertheless, these these stories that we obviously love so much help us to think about the patterns of humanity unfolding and politics in particular in ways that are helpful. The framework of these things is important, especially taken all together. Like if you, yeah, I mean, if you are reading V and reading Watchmen and especially reading Transmet and watching movies like Bob Roberts or I'm going to go ahead and wag the dog in here again, yeah. uh, I feel like what's in them taken together is illustrative and it's illustrative yeah. in a way that it, if it may not be informative in terms of the facts right but it's definitely informative in terms of the trends of the way things go right like if you can go back and look at bob roberts and go this is almost quaint mm -hmm. it also makes you realize that there was a time when it wasn't right there was a time when that was like a groundbreaking concept and mm -hmm. go okay well maybe that's something that not necessarily we should aspire to go back to but at least aspire to that level of i don't know not level of innocence that I lost my thread there. Well, the level, the level of, of thinking about life with those possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think requires innocence so much as it does faith. Oh God. I never thought I'd say that on the air. You said that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, or, okay. How about this? I don't have faith. I have a good idea. Recognition perspective on potential. Yeah. Like there is still potential. And this is where I feel like I struggle. Um, cause you've heard me talk about intellectual laziness of everyone, but right. like, yeah, the perspective of potential, can people still learn? Can people yeah. still learn from their mistakes? Right. Can people still learn from the behavior of others? I really hope so. I mean, you, you and my wife are both educators right. and my whole job is putting things in the hands of people to read. Yeah, exactly. So I like, I really hope that's still out there. Well, um, and if we, if we take V's perspective, then the question becomes, how far do you push someone to get them to understand the truth? Especially when it comes to like, I didn't put you in a cage. I just showed you the bars. Well, and that's, for me, that's different than it is, I think, think for you. Yeah. I feel like you have to pick whole rooms full of people and you have to teach them all the same. But I was actually having this conversation just yesterday where I feel like the older I get, the more I tend to give up on arguments. And it's not because I'm giving up on the arguments because I've given up on the person. Right, right. I don't, I'll get three sentences in with somebody in a Trump hat and go, you know, I just don't care that much about you. Which <laughs> takes us to another quaint concept, George Carlin talking about you talk to someone for two seconds and you wait a minute, he's full of shit. Shit, yep. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and Dan Quayle is all three full of shit, stupid and fucking nuts. <laughs> fucking nuts. Right. Uh, which Trump is then 20 other things as well. Oh, God. Oh, my God. What would George Carlin think about Trump? And what would Bill Hicks say about Trump? Because Hicks 
didn't even live to see Bush Jr. when he yeah, said no. anybody can be president, even a glass of water, <laughs> uh, because of Bush Sr. Uh, yeah, a wimp president. I right. probably stuck in this guy's craw <laughs> a little bit. Wimp. Yeah. President. Right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and call it there. I want to thank you very much, Garrett, of course, for coming on and talking about all this stuff with me. Uh, no, there's a, a Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah there's it. a lot of other things that we could easily talk about. At some point, we'll have to get into Preacher, uh, Dark Knight Returns, and the rest of it. But for now, uh, yeah, let's call it there. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of the day, Garrett. You too. Bye, everybody. I've got to know, yes, I've got to know, friend. Hungry lips ask me wherever I go. Comrades and friends all falling around me. I've got to know, yes, I've got to know. Why do your war books? Right on my waters Why do your death bombs fall down from my skies? Why do you burn my farm and my town down? I've got to know, friend, I've got to know I've got to know, yes, I've got to know, friend Hungry lips ask me Wherever I go Comrades and friends All falling around me I've got to know Yes, I've got to know What makes your boat haul Death to my people My blockbusters Big cannons and guns why doesn't your ship bring food and some clothing? I've got to know, folks, I've got to know. Why can't my two hands get a good paid job? I can still plow, plant, I can still sow. Why did your law book chase me off my good land? Sure like to know, friend, I've just come to know I've got to know, yes, I've got to know, friend Hungry lips ask me wherever I go Comrades and friends all falling around me I've got to know, yes, I've got to know Did you do? I'd like to ask you to give you my money right out of my hands. I built your big house here to hide from my people. Why did you hide? So I'd like to know. I've got to know, yes, I've got to know, friend. Hungry lips ask me wherever I go. Comrades and friends all are falling around me. I've got to know, yes, I've got to know. You keep me in jail and you lie.
put me in prison Your hospital's jammed and your crazy house full What made your cop kill my trade union worker You'll have to talk plain cause I sure got to know I've got to know, friend, hungry lips ask me wherever I go. Comrades and friends are falling around me. I've got to know, yes, I've got to know. Why can't I get work and cash a big paycheck? Why can't I buy things in your place in your store? Why do you close my plant and my down, down? I'm asking you, man, cause I've sure got to know. I've got to know, yes, I've got to know, friend. Hungry lips ask me wherever I go. Comrades and friends all falling around me I've got to know, yes, I've got to know